Well, I invite you to turn with me in the Bible to Second Samuel chapter eight as we continue our uh, series through that particular book of the Bible. Second Samuel found in the Old Testament a little bit after Joshua and Judges before you get to first and second Kings. And we are at chapter eight. We're continuing on with our uh, theme, our theme question, if you will, a rhetorical one, I suppose. Who is king? And we looked at it last year. We worked our way through First Samuel. We've been looking at it the last, uh, I guess, couple of months now, working our way through Second Samuel. Who is king? Uh, no surprise. The answer to that question is God is king. We've seen already in Second Samuel that uh, God is sovereign over the raising up and the bringing down of people. We saw that in the very first chapter of Second Samuel. We saw in the next couple of chapters that God's sovereign even in the midst of conflict. Conflict even among God's uh, people that we see in Israel. We see that God's sovereign over justice, that vengeance is really the Lord's. And even though we should pursue justice in this world, that ultimately God's the one who is going to sort out the rights and the wrongs. That God's sovereign over timing, we saw a few weeks ago. And maybe that was the one that was uh, most uh, readily applicable to us, that we, we feel like God is so slow sometimes in doing what we want him to. And other times we feel like he's yanking us forward when we're not ready to, to go. God's sovereign over timing. We saw a week or so ago that God's sovereign in his holiness as Uzzah reached out and touched the Ark of the Covenant. And we were reminded of something that we easily forget in our lives today. Uh, maybe we always forget as, as human beings that God is righteous, he's pure, he's holy. And that therefore, one, we ought to be incredibly thankful for Christ and his holiness that can be gifted, credited to you and I through our faith in him. And we ought to also uh, seek to live lives set apart that fit with who God is, uh, holy lives that way. And then last week, I think it was, we saw that God is sovereign in his promises that whereas the people around us and even our leaders and other people, you know, don't don't always keep their promises. In fact, it seems often don't keep their promises. God is faithful to keep his word. Uh, we saw he's sovereign over that. He can fulfill his, uh, his promises. He doesn't drop the ball that way. And so today we turn and we see that God is sovereign in his victory. We see that he's sovereign in his victory and that that victory is also something that we get to share in, that we can be partakers of. We're just going to read passing verses in 2 Samuel 8. Uh, because of, of time's sake and to highlight the main theme, I think you'll see it pretty quickly of the victory that God gives to David. And then we're going to look at what that means for Christ and Christ's victory and how we can share in the victory of the king of Israel in that way. So turn with me to that Second uh, Samuel chapter eight, and I'll just, you know, walk us through a couple of verses here, starting in verse one. It says, after this, David defeated the Philistines. Verse two. And he defeated Moab. Verse 3, David defeated Hadadezer. And jump on down to verse, uh, end of verse 6. It says, and the Lord gave victory to David wherever he went. Jump on down with me to verse 13. It says, and David made a name for himself when he returned from striking down 18,000 Edomites. And then end of verse 14. And the Lord gave victory to David wherever he went. Then verse 15. So David reigned. Over all Israel, and David administered justice and equity to all his people. Let's pray again. Our Heavenly Father, we uh, thank you that the King of Israel reigns and has victory. And as we hope to see today, how that finds its 
perfected uh, fruition and fulfillment in the work of Christ, the King of Israel. And Lord, we ask that through that you would allow us to have a share in your victory and greater uh, recognition of what it means to have that share, that we would be encouraged today uh, in your victory shared with us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I gather the uh, NBA playoffs are in full swing. And I got to tell you, I've watched maybe five minutes of the whole thing. So I think we can rule me out as a serious NBA fan. But uh, I try to keep up on what's going on through through a little station I call the PBSPN, PBSPN, the Peters Boys Sports Programming Network. So I, I get my info from them and they tell me what's going on. So, you know, I, I, I gathered at some point along the season as a guy that grew up in Chicago, fan of the Bulls, that, uh, that this Golden State team was making a run at this all-time wins record, and I think was already winning their at-home wins or whatever. I mean, they were breaking a lot of records that the Bulls had hold. And it made me think back to that time, even in my younger years, when I wasn't necessarily the biggest NBA fan either. But growing up in Chicago, sitting around that TV and watching the likes of Jordan, of course, and, and Kerr, who's now the coach of the Golden State team, And Pippen and those folks that some of you in here will remember and watching them get those wins that season where they got all the wins and they were so victorious and watching the playoff championship wins, however many years they they won in a row and sitting there and, and just soaking it in and recognizing that my actual participation in that victory on the surface you know, maybe amounted to owning a pair of Jordan high tops and to helping boost the Nielsen ratings by actually watching the, the games on TV. That, that was actually the amount of participation I had directly in that. And yet you all know how it is if you're an Auburn or an Alabama fan or whatever your team is. When they win, you win. When the Bulls won, we won. Because they were our team and we shared in that victory. An interesting thing is in the scriptures, the idea of the king of Israel and his victory and our part in that is is really in a lot of ways very similar. That we have a share in what the king of Israel has done, ultimately fulfilled in Christ. If you want to follow along in the sermon notes section, I believe there's a, a segment at the back of your worship guide that you can, can turn to if you'd like to. Just this main idea for us today that since God gives us victory through the king of Israel, we're going to talk about David, but we're only going to see you know, Jesus, who's the fulfillment of the king of Israel, gives us victory. We should cling to him as you and I go into spiritual battle probably should say daily spiritual battle just in case we don't think it's something there you know every now and then i mean all of us are in that battle each day if we're seeking to walk with the lord well why do we need to hear this well i don't know about you but i need reminders of that victory that i can share because i experience a sense of defeat pretty regularly in my life and maybe you do, too. And, I, and I'm a glasses half full guy. But as I started thinking about this passage, I thought, goodness, think of all the ways that we feel defeat. And I'm not, I'm, not try, I'm not trying to bring us down to walk through this, but think about it with me for a minute and then we'll turn the corner. The parents feel defeated 
when we have either become the, the sort of helicopter parent or the absentee parent that we never wanted to be, right? Where we're trying to, to be everything to our child and be their uh, friend rather than their parent, and we realize that's not working, or we're neglecting our child because of the many distractions we've got. We feel defeated as parents. The spouses feel defeated with one another. When you go through that same argument over and over again, bless you newlyweds who might be here, you know, they're, they're, enjoy that, that, that early years of marriage is a tough time in some ways, but at least you haven't gone through the same arguments over again. At some point, you, you really you feel defeated in it. Uh, even if there's nobody necessarily to blame, it's just like, how can we get out of this thing over and over again? We feel that way in our marriages or that spouse that they, they never seem to will change in that particular area. It's a sense of defeat for us. Uh, Christians in the out in the workforce uh, feel defeated when that promotion you thought you were going to get doesn't come or when the demotion does come when those benefits are reduced or when we can't seem to please our boss or when we are the boss and our employees can't seem to please us. The sense of defeat when those plans you made for that next deal or next opportunity to to expand into the market or whatever and to make more money and the market forces or the government or whatever or something stops it from coming to fruition. You feel a sense of defeat. We all encounter that. Citizens feel defeated when our candidate or our cause that makes perfectly good sense to us as the sound direction to head doesn't seem to win or does win and doesn't seem ready to deliver on who we thought they would be. Global thinking Christians feel defeated when we recognize the persecution of the church worldwide. I handed out some of those Voice of Martyrs publications a few weeks ago. And if you read through that, on the one hand, you're hopeful. God's at work all around the world. On the other hand, you're like, oh, these poor folks that are struggling in such a deep way. We feel a sense of defeat. Uh, Justice-minded Christians feel defeated when issues in our culture don't seem to work out. Innocent until proven guilty doesn't seem to play out. And the media passes judgment instantly instead of us really seeking justice. Uh, Socially conservative Christians feel defeated when big corporations that exist somewhere out there in the world seem to dictate more about how our local communities make decisions on important matters of gender and other issues than our own uh, communities do. Our faith feels weak. Christians facing chronic illness and the physical challenges of that feel defeat. Those under anxiety, depression feel defeat. Any of us wrestling with any regular patterns of sin, of anger, greed, or lust, you name it, feel defeated. Young people here, young ones, our elementary school, our junior high, our high school folks, young ones that are trying to put some shape to their faith and really base your life on your identity in Christ, not be blown here and there by peer pressure. Actually love other kids who are unlovely, feel defeated when you realize I'm, I'm stuck. I seem to have a hard time to actually build my life on my identity in Christ. Uh, We could go on and on, but I'll mention uh, one last area of defeat for all of us because I was thinking about it this week. Many of us uh, maybe feel defeated because we've set out with some kind of plan to grow spiritually in our lives. 
You know, I just looked at my little uh, walk through the Bible. Now, I'm going to blame it a little bit on my data plan, just like that thing kind of went out this last week. But that's not the real reason. I looked at my little walk through the Bible deal, go through the Bible in a year on my phone that I've been trying to go through. And, hey, lo and behold, there went March, right? March was just gone. And uh, April, I caught about half of it. You know, so if you feel defeated and, you know, trying to trying to get to church, trying to get your kids to Sunday school, trying to do your walk through the Bible plan, I'm, I'm right there with you. It, it doesn't always seem like we're making the progress we would want to. So we need a victory in that sense. Uh, we need a victory provided for us because we feel defeated. Maybe, maybe we're on the other side of it, though, too. Maybe uh, we're winning in some areas of life in this life. Maybe things are going well for us on some fronts, and it's easy to forget where that victory comes from. As it mentions in these passages several times, David's victories come from God. So sometimes it's almost, you know, at least when you're defeated, you recognize you have a need. When you're winning, when things are going well, so to speak, it's more difficult. There's a new uh, Peyton Manning commercial out. Maybe you all saw it. I just saw it once. I don't know how long it's been on TV, but it's the nationwide commercial series that they do. And they sort of have this real serious thing, and they're zoomed in on his face, and you know he's retired uh, now and such a successful athlete. And they're going through all his stats and all his wins and how great he was and so forth. And then and they keep talking and talking about how great he was and all the wins. And then eventually he pipes up and does his little nationwide song, except for the way he says it is this. He says, Maybe tone it down a bit. <laughs> and he looks at the camera like this is this is crazy. But uh, but when you're a winner, it's easy to focus on your wins instead of on the fact that where those wins come from. So we need to see the value of Jesus's victory for us wherever we might fall. And uh, and we see that really laid out in these passages with David's victory. So look with me back at our text for a few minutes and let's walk through a a couple of points, and I've got a short little video clip we're going to watch, and we'll, we'll um, see where the Lord takes us in our time together. The first thing we see is uh, David's victories as the king of Israel come from the Lord. I mentioned that just a minute ago. And I highlighted for us verse 13 because I think it's interesting. It says, and David made a name for himself. The things that David's are accomplishing are recognized, just like things that you or I may do that are worthwhile if you're uh, diligent as a mother or a father, somebody might recognize that. If you're investing in the community, people might recognize that. If you're good in your workplace or whatever your calling is, people might recognize that. And that's not a bad thing. It acknowledges here that David's name was becoming uh, significant and noteworthy. But look at how it's bookended. Back at the end of verse 6, and the Lord gave victory to David wherever he went. And then right after that, verse 13, and the Lord gave victory to David wherever he went. You know, the Bible repeats things, especially when it repeats them in the exact same wording. It's like, hello, hey, I'm over here. You know, this is, this is where the victory comes from. It comes from the Lord. Where do we see our victory coming from today? Are we looking to the Lord for that victory? Or are we relying on the things of this life to bring it? And if, if we're in a place of defeat in certain areas, are we... Are we lifting our eyes to see that that victory is available to us, not from ourselves? We're not going to find it in ourselves, but from the Lord, ultimately. Second thing we see is that David's victories as king of Israel show that the, the kingdom of God is really advancing. Look at verse 15 with me, if you will. What a picture. Okay, Remember, we're not that many years uh, from when... The people of Israel were, one, wandering in the desert, 
And then uh, finally, they've got the judges and their sort of leaders are raised up and fall down and they don't really seem to control any territory. And when they were kind of beat back and defeated. And here we have just in a relatively short period of time, it says David reigned over all Israel and David administered justice and equity to all his people. That's a picture of the kingdom of God. Justice and equity from the hand of God through the king of Israel. It reminds me of that passage in Matthew 16 where Jesus is talking about his kingdom. And he says the gates of hell will not what? Will not prevail against it. And there's a whole debate about does that mean like going into hell? Like we're attacking it to kind of go into that territory and get through the gates to get into it? Or are we stuck inside some prison and we're trying to get out? So I don't know whether there's gates in or gates out. But the point is this. Those gates aren't going to prevail. They will not prevail because God's kingdom is advancing. Colossians 1.6. The gospel is bearing fruit all over the world. The gospel is bearing fruit in your life and in mine. We can take encouragement from that today. That we recognize as we wrestle with defeat in areas of our lives that actually God's kingdom is advancing. He's determined to make sure that it advances. Third thing we see, David's victories as the king of Israel point to a more fulfilled victory. Now, they've made a lot of progress here with the uh, areas that he's taking control of. I mean, he, he's he's. Kicking tail and taking names, for lack of better terms, right? Verse chapter 8. I mean, it's just one thing after another. Let me go attack the next group of people. And he's uh, doing it successfully. But ultimately, Solomon's going to do even more. And then we know that this is just really in the whole scope of the globe. It's just one small area of territory, even its biggest expanse, the kingdom of Israel. And that the real fulfillment of that is coming through Christ and Christ's worldwide kingdom that we're seeing Poured out even in our own times. Well, I want to talk for a moment, uh, in a moment, just a bit more about what it means for Jesus to fulfill each one of these things that the King of Israel does. But I think we need to pause because we haven't really tackled it in our time so far, at least in this recent series in Second Samuel, and talk a little bit about just violence in the Bible. One, because it might be a question on our hearts. Two, it's a question people sometimes ask. Three, maybe it would be another issue. It's, a, it's an issue where people divide the Old Testament from the New Testament. And as covenantal believers, we really want to recognize continuity between those things. And so I was intrigued, and maybe you all saw, if, you're, if we're friends on uh, Facebook or whatever, or you like our Facebook page, I posted, I think these guys are maybe getting it queued up here, this uh, video. And I'm just going to show three minutes of it from uh, Bono, you know, the lead singer for U2. And I, I highly recommend, again, young ones, that was U2, not YouTube. Those are different things, you know, one worldwide sensation of another. Uh, sitting down with this guy, Eugene Peterson, I, I venture to say probably most of us know the singer better than the, uh, the theologian. But Eugene Peterson translated the, the scriptures, uh, the message, uh, Bible translation. And in particular, he and Bono, is kind of fascinating, really. They sat down just at the little cabin place that Eugene Peterson and his wife, I guess, are live in. And they talked about the Psalms. And I thought it was interesting. I don't agree with actually with everything that they say. But I thought it was interesting because they were wrestling through violence and what we do with violence in the Bible. So let's uh, cue this up and see what these, uh, these guys have to say. What do we do with violence? Violence in our own hearts. The sense of wanting to do violence and the violence in the world. That's a hard question. We need to find a way to cuss 
without cussing. And the imprecatory psalms surely do that. They just lay it out. And uh, I just, I think they're really important. If we've got to have some way in context, and the context is the whole Bible and the whole Psalter, some way in context to tell people how um, how mad we are. So one of Eugene's uh, translations, uh, 35, punch the nose, punch the nose, is that 35? It's fantastic. And uh, punch the nose of the bullies. God. Um, but I love the idea of you've got to cuss, find a way of cussing without cussing. And you have to give vent to that. I like that. that. That's going to stay with me. Do you have songs that have given some kind of expression, narrative, poetic, to violence, to this yes. violence in us, violence in the world? Yes. And it's called Raised by Wolves, the song. And I try to make it real try to bring people to that place because it must have had an effect on me and I want to understand violence um, a bombing that I missed in Dublin myself um, three car bombs time to go off at 5.30 on a Friday night in 1974 any other time I would have been on the street where the bomb went off because I used to travel through the city centre from going get two buses home from school and but there was a bus strike that day and I took a bicycle and I have no problem with the Old Testament. I don't see God as a violent God, but I think the world is a violent place, and it does reflect that. And and it's a terrifying thing some to some of the Old Testament, but 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 it is real. And in a way, I kind of prefer it to the airy fairy stuff where we don't get re- you know we don't where we, where we don't get real. Is there a way to read the Psalms through Jesus' eyes that helps us understand violence or nonviolence? Well, yeah, the crucifixion. When there's violence, there's got to be some kind of response. And is it more violence or less? I'm glad we have a crosses in every room in this house, but I, when I look at those, I think, I don't think of decoration. I think of this is the world we live in. And it's a world with a lot of crosses. And I just would like to spend my life um, doing something about that through scripture, through preaching, through friendship. Uh, and now my, you know, my ears or years are getting shorter and uh, don't have nearly as many left. But I, I don't want to escape the, escape the violence. So let's take uh, just a moment as we sort of move to a close here today and at least talk talk for a minute about that issue of violence. I think they bring up some interesting points. Obviously, a little interview They're They're not getting into deep theological conversations uh, about it, but they're they are engaging with the topic. And a couple of things I I would encourage us to to just think about. Uh, One is when we think about violence in the Old Testament, it's not a mandate, obviously, for all of God's people everywhere. Not a mandate for us to do that. That's part of maybe one of the errors that the uh, Christians in medieval times had with the uh, the Crusades, perhaps. This is a specific thing for God's Old Testament people to be established as a nation state in the world. 
And that involves conflict. You know, we see it today around the world. You don't even have to be going and looking for it. If you were somebody that was living in Syria and trying to live a relatively peaceful life in the last you know, number of years, all of a sudden violence is upon you. It's, it's there. And so I like what they say about the reality of it. Uh, the other reality that I think we need to wrestle with is ultimately this is God's world. So we look at some of the Old Testament passages and we see God directing or applauding what is, in fact, military violence. If you read through the details of this passage a little more carefully, it is a violent passage. And there's many other ones in the Bible that uh, ultimately this is God's world for him to do with it as he wants to. And that may be troubling to us. It, it, it is troubling to me. But that's the reality that the scriptures operate from. And that ultimately, actually, all of us deserve death. Because of sin. So in that sense, death is not a surprise to God. The question, and I like how, here's where I really did like what Eugene Peterson said and and Bono a bit, is that he mentioned the crosses and the centrality of the cross for that. And what it makes me think of is a passage like Isaiah 53, where we read that Jesus was crushed for our iniquities. He took the violence, so to speak, that you and I deserve for our sins upon him. And that's a picture of how we can begin to have victory in Christ. Now, let me say this, and and then I'll draw one last application point for us. When we talk about victory in Christ, we probably need to qualify it a bit. Because if you turn on the TV and watch what's spoken there about victory in Christ, one, you're going to get the health and wealth message pretty quick. Which is, which, you know, is a, a fallacy that somehow Jesus is going to make our lives perfectly healthy and perfectly wealthy. Now, hey, if you live out biblical parameters and you pursue business in a biblical way, in some general way, is God going to bring blessing? The Proverbs talk about that. But it, it, it's, it's oftentimes the case that God works difficulty and struggle in our lives and help, helps us trust his victory more that way. So it's not about health and wealth. It's not about a word of faith. About us sort of speaking victory and some sort of magic spell over the things that are happening in our lives and somehow hoping they'll turn around, somehow having some power that way. It's certainly not about perfect victory over our sins, is it? I mean, can I get an amen from anybody that's been walking in the faith for a little while? If you've been walking in the faith for more than five minutes, you know, oh, I I guess I'm not perfectly now in this life. I will be in the next, but delivered from my sins. I'm still struggling. And, of course, it's not uh, the victory we have in Christ is not any call to arms in any physical way. And, in fact, as Eugene Peterson said, he said, you know, the violence is a reality, but I want to be a person that tries to work for peace as well as justice in, in this world. And he gave that picture of how we can do that. Ultimately, Romans reminds us that we are more than conquerors through Christ. And then the last passage I want to read is Ephesians. Uh, And if you want to turn there, you can. Ephesians chapter 6, because it tells us really how we can lay hold of this victory in some of those areas where we do feel like we're defeated or we're battling for, uh, for our joy, for our hope, for our strength in Christ. And it's in Ephesians chapter 6. Where it talks about the whole armor of God. And what I want you to see uh, from this as we close is that it comes to our lives ultimately through prayer. That's where we lay hold of this victory that Jesus has for us. Verse uh, 10 says this. Finally, be strong in the Lord. This is Ephesians 6. Be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. 
And it just fit exactly with 2 Samuel 8, where David, we see, gets his strength from the Lord. The victories come from him. God's telling us the same thing. Where do you want to get your strength? Be strong in the Lord. If you are strong and you're getting victories and things are going well in your life, so to speak, recognize that that strength ultimately needs to come from the Lord. Don't falsely put it in the things of this life. And then it goes on and says, put on the whole armor of God that you'll be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For sake of time, we won't go through all these. Maybe we've read it before. Down in verse 18, it tells us this. It says, how are we to do this? Praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication. That's how we lay hold of this victory that Christ has given for you and I is taking these things, taking all of these areas of defeat and then even taking the areas where we're seeing victory and bringing those before the Lord and saying, thank you to God for those things that we see victory. And they come from you. I acknowledge they're from you. And those areas where we see defeat, saying, God, I need your help. I need your strength. I need the power of the cross in this part of my life. Let's pray. Oh, Heavenly Father, uh, we do confess that we are folks that regularly forget and lose our grip on the victory that we have in Christ. And Father, as I said a minute ago, we have a lot of confused messages in our world as well. That somehow that victory is going to mean this or it's going to mean that. Uh, Lord, uh, help us to see what it means to draw strength for living our lives for you in this world through the victory that Jesus has given to us as the King of Israel, the fulfillment of uh, this Old Testament King David and his victories. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.